Hello, uh, my name is James Morgan. I am sitting here with Australian National Living Treasure, Everell Compton. And this is the first episode of our new politics podcast, Old Everald and Young James Talk Politics. How are you, Everald? Well, fine, James. And thank you very much for inviting me to be uh, on the podcast with you. There's only about, you know, 70 years difference in our ages. So, I mean, I mean we, we, we can cover a fair uh, ambit. But I'm delighted to be with you. And I look forward to talking every week about the great issues of the week that have just uh, passed. And hopefully we can then engage... Uh, our listeners in discussions and answering questions at subsequent goes. But uh, how, how about we start off this morning uh, talking about the 100th anniversary of the Chinese Communist Party. Now, have you been to China, James? I have not been to China, no. Um, I have, have you? I have a se several times, once, once for a major trip and a few times for for minor trips, it's an extraordinary country, quite different to us. And I think one of the problems we have in the, in the debate on China is that Australians don't realise that even the Chinese people operate on a, a different way of life to us. Uh, they're not people like Australians who are being kept under the thumb by the communists. Now, now they are kept under the thumb, but it's a way of life to which Chinese have been regimented for thousands of years. They had emperors way back that, that acted like, all through the century, acted like Z does now. So they don't see what he's doing as anything extraordinary. But it is an amazing country. I mean, the Great Wall and the hidden tomb of Zian and the pandas out in the west and the Yangtze River and, uh, uh, you know, Shanghai, one of the most uh, impressive cities in the world. And, and, and there it is. But 100 years ago... Mao and Chow and Lai and a few other famous communists held the first meeting of the party. It took them from 1921 to 1949 to establish the republic that now exists. And in between times, the nationalists and the communists were fighting one another and together they were fighting the Japanese. That was a, a, a tremendous thing. But it started in 1949 and now... It's the second largest economy, the second most armed country in the world, and one that can't be uh, uh, can't be ignored. What I found interesting, have you ever read Confucius? Uh, I've not read Confucius, I'm afraid. No. <laughs> well, 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 well. I've only read a bit of Confucius, but Mao based the whole Communist Party thing on Confucius, which, of course, Confucius was a a, a big man in Chinese life for centuries and centuries and centuries. And Confucius was the one who believed that we should not all own individual property, that everything we had, we must share. And that was part of the Con Confucian faith and still is. So Mao tacked the Communist Party onto that. Now, what, what do you think of that, James? Well, I mean, <laughs> you know me, I'm very into fairness. I'm very into equality. And I think there's nothing wrong at all with the belief that um, we should share in the gains of this earth. I mean, you know, we only have one planet. Um, where we should be a united society. Um, I'm not sure I necessarily advocate for the type of state capitalist government China has right now, but I think there's certainly um, a middle ground in between the sort of rugged individualism we see in Australia right now and what, um, what the government has in China for a more prosperous society. And you, you can't deny like what the Chinese Communist Party has done for that country and that they've lifted millions, hundreds of millions of people out of poverty. Um, they've rapidly industrialised and modernised China. 
And I expect that um, China's going to lead the world in decarbonisation as we move into a green energy future now. I mean, if any country can move from fully industrialised to a fully green energy economy before 2050, it's China. Well, well, you've hit something important there. I believe China will pass the United States in power in all sorts of ways, uh, you know, very shortly. Uh, and and uh, it, it's interesting that when Joe Biden wants to do something in the United States, or prior to him, Trump, they had to get Congress to agree and there'd be endless debates and nothing would get passed. When President Z and the Politburo make a decision, that's it. And so Z has got the ability to say, we're going to do this and it will happen tomorrow. Exactly. Hmm. And they will do it. And so he can regiment that society. And they're used to a regimented society. Now, a few people will get upset after a while, more than a few, but he can say, well, right, are we going to have a green future? And we're going to have a green future. There's no political debate about it and people crossing the floor of the parliament or whatever is on. And so uh, in that way, that China shouldn't, because of its regimentation, exceed the world, shouldn't it? Well, no, exactly right. You've hit the nail on the head. And like I said, we've seen it from China transforming from like a very agrarian society in the 50s to the industrial powerhouse it is today. Yeah. And that's only a like 70 year span. Um, I, I can easily foresee that happening again in the next 30 years as they move from like an industrialized, heavy industry economy to a really green economy. Um, I just saw yesterday a UN report listed Australia as 193rd out of 193 countries in terms of our plan to tackle climate change. Um, well, yeah, that doesn't yeah. surprise me at all. And we've earned no. that honour. We definitely earned that. And, you know, and, you know, that, that's, uh, you know and that, that's an interesting fact. Now, people are saying, uh, how, how come Australia right at this moment has got bad relationships with, with, uh, with China? And it seems to me we brought that all on ourselves. While China uh, acts very belligerently and very aggressively when you take, Australia hasn't realised that the worst thing you can do to a Chinese person is make them lose face. That, that is a big issue. If you want to have an argument with a Chinese person, you don't do it in public and humiliate him. You've got to do it in such a way that you have a private yarn and so he doesn't lose face. Now, so we come out and say the Chinese started COVID-19 in Wuhan and we want an investigation about it. What the hell does it matter? It had to happen somewhere. Uh, and why the hell did we have to make an issue of it? Why don't we just fix it out there? Finding out what happened in Wuhan is not going to help us. So and then we had a fight with them over all sorts of issues and which we didn't need to have a fight about. Now, my old mate, Goff Whitlam, long dead, whom I knew quite well, was a guy who went to China and opened up the China trade. And, and Goff understood how, how things could happen and how things should happen. And he set the basis which we've now wrecked. How do you see it as a young guy? How do you want to see our relationship with China go, James? Well, I'm, I'm an arch pacifist and I'm absolutely disgusted with the tack the government's taken to China. Um, the, the hate they've spread and what they've done in this tough, repeated up and tough talk to China and the quote-unquote standing up to President Xi and whatnot, um, first and foremost, it's given a massive, massive license to people to be really bigoted and horrible to Chinese Australians domestically and all Asian Australians. Uh, we've seen across the Western world during the COVID-19 pandemic and since it started, hate crimes against um, Asians in Western countries have skyrocketed. Um, Anti-Asian sentiment has gone through the roof. 
um, when you talk about, say, Australia calling for that big investigation um, into the origins of COVID-19, all that does is lend credence to that really debunked lab leak theory and it creates um, animosity against, you know, quote unquote, the other. Um, and it's really, unfortunately, it's been really effective by the federal government in that they've really stirred up an anti-China sentiment, which is bad for everyone. It's bad for um, every individual Australian in that it ratchets up international tensions, which is terrible. Um, it's bad for especially Chinese Australians because they become the victims of some really terrible racism, um, not just on the street, but from people in power too. Um, it's terrible for people like farmers and exporters because China is such a valuable export market and the government's willing to throw them under the bus just to score political points. Um, a much more measured and considered dialogue is eminently possible. Um, it's just our government has to stop beating its chest and wanting to look so tough to score those domestic political points. But I don't, the more, I don't think Morrison and co are prepared to do that. It, it's too easy for them just to score racist points and throw Chinese Australians under the bus. Well, you, you've hit with your final word there, you've hit it, James. I believe it's a racism thing. There is a, a racist vote in Australia. There's absolutely no doubt about that. That's shown by the way we treat refugees and Aborigines and, and Indigenous Australians, you know. And there's a racist vote there. And I think Morrison, when he made those attacks on China, was trying to lock in that racist vote. And I, there's no point in that. And, and, and I know some very fine Chinese Australians. When I had a company in New Zealand, I had a Chinese New Zealander running it. He's one of the best business partners I ever had. And, uh, and it, 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 it's, you know, bad that, we're, bad that we're doing this. But perhaps we ought to move on a bit about China. Now, I raised the China issue. James, now you raised one. So um, one thing that I've seen in the news recently that's um, ticked me off a little bit is very, very recently, late, uh, late this week, Anthony Albanese announced that under a hypothetical um, Albanese Labor government, he will release a, or he will consult and then ultimately release a full employment paper. Um, and I think that's, sorry, a, an employment white paper, not a full employment paper. He hasn't gone far enough to commit to full employment. Um, and that's, to me, endemic of some really, really big problems. Like it's a real illustration of what's wrong with the Labor Party right now. Um, it's wishy-washy. It doesn't, it's, it's not a commitment to anything. It's a commitment to consulting and making a paper. That's not a policy commitment. That's not a commitment to making people's lives better. And in a country right now crying out for leadership, um, rather than seizing the opportunity and showing himself as a leader that all Australians can get behind, uh, Albanese is fumbling the football. Um, he's saying, we'll consult, we'll look into potential policies, but he hasn't put anything out there yet to say to Australians, hey, come the next election, jump on this bandwagon and we will make your lives better. Um, like a, yeah. a, an employment white paper does nothing for people living paycheck to paycheck on um, the really inadequate job seeker rate. It doesn't do anything for people in the disability pension who, you know, might well be starving themselves. It doesn't do anything for people who've just lost their job because of state-based lockdowns. Um, it's not a labour, it's a very liberal policy. You know, we'll get the consultants in, we'll look at the market-based solutions and see what we can do. Like, that, that's not the Labour Party. <laughs> well, well, you're quite right. Why Anthony Albany, Anthony, why he had to say, we'll do this when we're in government, 
There's some months ahead before the election. My first thing is, why the hell can't he set up a task force within the Labor Party right now to do all that consulting right now and announce it before the election? Why the hell has he got to wait till after? I, I thought that was as, as, as weak as water. But there, there seems to be a, a, a tentative, uh, tentativeness about uh, the Labor Party at the moment. Albo, <coughs> whom I've known for a long time, and who I like as a person, is not cutting through with the Australian voter, just not cutting through. Now, sure, Morrison gets more airtime than he does, but when Albo gets airtime, he does not cut through. And this is a particular instance, a vivid instance of him not cutting through. A lot of people would have said, sat and said, well, look, I got problems with my job and my pay right now, this moment, we're not waiting till you've been in office for a year to work out how to, you know, and therefore that, that, that's as weak as water, that whole, uh, you know, situation. And, and um, uh, I, I uh, yeah, I, I find that uh, disappointing. I actually believe, uh, and, and I don't particularly want this to happen, I actually believe that Morrison's going to win the election because he's going to run around and say that whatever he did wrong with COVID, uh, there's a hundred other nations out there that did worse than we did, so why punish him? And he's going to say, well, look, you know, we've come out of this economically not too badly, although I believe there's lots of gaps in this, uh, how we've come out of it. And I think most Australians vote for their money and say, let's stick with this guy and look after our money. And, and when they hear Albo making a speech like that, forecasting what consultation he's going to do, that just adds to the problem. Am I being too hard on Albo? No, I, I think you're being fair. I mean, I like Albo as a person too. And when he was voted in as leader, I was really optimistic. Um, mm. But <laughs> I've, I've felt a, a, a touch let down. Um, he's, I saw it early um, last week, he made a pretty good speech where he got fired up and that made the news. I think it was on the vaccine rollout. And I thought like, finally, Albo, finally, he's getting fired up. Um, the one thing you can say about Tony Abbott who I did not particularly enjoy his prime ministership as a massive lefty. But when he was the opposition leader, he was on the news every single night, absolutely ripping into the government. He commanded airtime. Yeah. And one thing Albanese hasn't done. I know Abbott was able to do that because we have a very conservative media who was willing to platform him. But sometimes if knocking at the door doesn't work, you have to kick the door down. And yeah. Albanese has not been willing to kick the door down. Early this week, uh, the big thing, the big push from the Labor Party was we have had all these state-based lockdowns and we haven't heard from Scott Morrison in 48 hours, 72 hours, 80 hours, etc. cetera, um, which is a great thing to point out. But you've got to go beyond just pointing out the problems with Morrison. You've got to go beyond that and say, and this is why I, Anthony Albanese, will show leadership. This is where I will step up to the plate where Morrison's abrogated responsibility and I'll come in and show leadership. And that's what he hasn't been able to do. Well, no, he has not been able to. And I hope, uh, you know, that, that he will be able to get his game uh, uh, together. I, I hope Definitely. I wish him well. But right now, I think you and I agreeing Albo is going to lose the election. I think that's that's the way it is. And uh, and that's the way we, uh, you know, and that's the way we uh, we look at it. Well, that's, 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 that's good. Well, thank you, James. I'm signing off for now and we'll, we'll talk again next week. Yep. Thank you, Everall. And thanks, everyone, for listening.